Welcome back to The Continuing Educator. In our final episode of season three, we're taking on two topics for the price of one. Today, we're going to discuss digital and disciplinary literacy, two weighty, often complex topics that my guest will help us navigate. Let's not waste a minute. My guest today is Laura Hansen. Laura is the Director of Teaching and Learning Connections at NWEA, focusing on understanding and fostering the relationships between teaching, learning, and assessment to promote literacy for all students. Prior to joining us in 2021, Laura was a reading and literacy educator. She has more than 20 years of experience in the assessment industry. We're so happy she landed here at NWEA, and I can't wait to pick her brains on all things digital and disciplinary literacy. And if we have time, maybe about the secret to a great queso as Laura joins us from Texas today. Welcome, Laura. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Well, it is absolutely our pleasure. So I I talk about these two big topics, uh, disciplinary literacy, digital literacy. If you don't mind, before we get into it, can you tell us a bit about your role at NWEA and your relationships with digital and disciplinary literacy? Sure. Happy to do so. So my role here um, has currently been developing and directing strategies that are related to the teaching and learning space. So NWA has always been fabulous at assessment, and we're really trying to expand into the teaching and learning space, and all of those things are connected in a great big cycle. And my job is to make sure that we have uh, strategies that are based on research and that are in bite-sized pieces translated to teacher speak so that teachers can use that research in the classroom with tools and resources. That's great. That sounds like an exciting job, and um, I'm so glad you're here doing it. If you don't mind, let's start with digital literacy. In doing some research for this episode, I found about seven different definitions of digital literacy. Can you tell us how you define the term? You bet. And you are 100% right. Digital literacy means different things to different people. Um, Matter of fact, there's so much confusion around the term of digital literacy that in 2020, Martinez Bravo et al. analyzed all the digital literacy studies from the past 50 years, a massive corpus of work. And the point was to examine where the conceptual convergence was around digital literacy. What is it? What does it mean to most people? So they came up with two main streams. Um, One is a skills-based competency for the use of technology. So think about keyboarding, for example. The other stream was teaching and learning and the strategies related to to, um, digital literacy. So that's where we live, right? That uh, teaching and learning connections. So in other words, we don't live in the tech space. We live in the space where um, students are assessing Uh, information in new ways. They're communicating what has been learned with others via the production route. And this is meant to give students a more prominent voice in the world around them. That's great. I mean, you know, it certainly needed in today's world. Uh, Is it fair to say that digital literacy is becoming a sort of civics for the modern era? I think that's a great way to look at it. I mean, we think about civics being the study of the rights and duties of citizenship. 
If you think about digital literacy, that is one avenue to make sure that civics gets applied. So students learn more about their rights, how to perform their duties, and more about the world they inhabit. So if you think about digital literacy, connecting people and issues of the world, then students become more fully informed citizens, armed with information. They can make meaningful action in the world. So a perfect example, I think, of this is civics teaches us we have a right or even a duty to vote. Digital literacy, though, takes it one step further in that a digitally literate person can research who they want to vote for and dig deeply into not only what they say, but also what they do. So what does a voting record look like? Have their speeches been consistent in message and stance? When we think about how much information is floating around in that digital space, you think blogs, vlogs, podcasts, primary source documents, research articles. Students have to know how to navigate that space digitally to sort fact from fiction. Um, And they also, frankly, need to have a sense of self-agency in the world. Being able to research current societal issues to decide what they believe in and what they want to fight for. Um, And all of that, at the heart of it, is being able to sort through bias, uh, accurate information, um, so they can be truly informed and not just influenced by what they're running across. Wow. Um, It's like we need to get there quickly, right? Uh, Every uh, every day, every election cycle, every... Um, news story that comes out. It it feels like the world would be a better place if not only more kids, but if everyone had the the type of uh, savvy depth uh, um, and, uh, well, I I guess flat out digital literacy that you're recommending. It seems like this goes well beyond the traditional concepts of literacy. So what type of educators would be typically responsible for covering these topics, Laura? Yeah, that's a great question. And we honestly get that quite often. Um, So digital literacy really cuts a wide path. It's applicable to all content areas. So all teachers have a responsibility to embrace it fully with their students. But what's important to note here, it does not mean adding more to the teacher's already full plate. It simply means thinking differently about what sources the students are using. So rather than relying solely on a textbook, Teachers can have students explore what's out there in the digital space. So I can give you some concrete examples what this might look like. So if we think about science and we think about renewable energy, which is a hot topic in lots of um, science classes across the country, students will see that, encounter it in their traditional textbooks, and they could use that information in their textbook to then establish background knowledge on the topic. But then they can take their digital literacy skills and explore further. So let's just say the text mentions wind power, solar energy as sources of uh, renewable energy. Well, then students could be tasked with exploring digitally what the benefits are of both of those sources of energy, if there are any negatives associated with either method of gathering energy, and then establishing a position about whether the risks and or outweigh the benefits or the benefits outweigh the risks. So if you think about for algebra, if you think about the golden ratio and Fibonacci's numbers, if kids see one, one, two, three, 
five, eight, 13, etc. It's a pattern. Okay, that's semi-interesting. But when they see digitally the many examples that exist in nature that exemplify that pattern, it's mind-blowing. It becomes a multimedia experience for kids that sticks, and it makes algebra fun. Um, And I'm wishing back in the day I had had that kind of experience because then I probably would be better at algebra. Laura, thank you. I I, I think that's a really interesting um, example. And it it makes me think about educators that perhaps aren't digital natives and or uh, are acquiring digital literacy themselves. Where would you say uh, educators can or should go to develop the types of knowledge that you're advocating for in in, uh, fostering digital literacy in students? Yeah, that's, that is, again, is a good question. It sort of drives to where my experience is. I'm not from the generation that grew up with computers. First time I saw one was my senior year of high school. So um, I was lucky enough to run across a source called the News Literacy Project. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they are a fabulous organization. They are nonpartisan, and their their whole goal is to really help students and teachers, and frankly, they have a lot of adult projects on there, um, understand how to look at the credibility of a source, how to look at potential bias by digging into the author's background and what potential agenda they may have, even how to assess accuracy of information or potential conflicting viewpoints, and I've learned so much from their source. I think it's a really great one that teachers could say, hey, I'm, I'm going to take this and, and I'm going to use it for my own purpose and I may use it in my classroom because they are also suited for students. That's great. Um, I want to, um, so, so we're, we're kind of centering so far in digital literacy around this idea of pseudo or, or, or civics-like engagement and the importance there. Um, there's an article uh, that we ran across uh, in prep for this from the American Libraries Magazine. And apologies if you're listening. Uh, uh, the author was Molly June Roquette. Roquette uh, and, and she wrote, around the globe, network technology is amplifying deadly misinformation, monetizing surveillance, fueling hatred, and faci- facilitating anti-democratic violence. Digital literacy education has never been more vital. But instead of helping students understand these phenomena, digital literacy curricula tend to focus on individual behavior and responsibilities. For example, do protect your private information. Don't cyberbully your classmates. Do use citations, etc. So these lessons often aim to correct perceived misbehavior or build academic skills, but do little to raise students' awareness of the complex social issues around technology. Laura, th- that makes me wonder, you know, what's your response to the, their assertion uh, uh, of what a, a perfect educational landscape ought to be and how should schools approach digital literacy? So there's, you know, there's definitely some truth in Molly's statement. All we have to do is look at social media to know there's misinformation out there. And sometimes that Im- misinformation does fuel hatred and violence. Um I also agree that digital literacy has never been more important, um, but I'm going to be a little more optimistic. I think progress has been made in this area. Uh, as far as the the perfect digital literacy space or classroom, teachers are in it. Teachers are so creative, and 
even more so during COVID, they had to be more creative than ever because of virtual learning. And digital literacy was sort of a natural solution to explore because sources were more readily available. Uh, we were we were somehow lucky enough to close somewhat of a digital divide. Uh, it's still there in some areas, but think how many more students now have access to the internet than they did before. Also, teachers are very aware of what is happening in our world. They are right there talking to the kids every day, overhearing conversations. So their classrooms are ripe for the pickings. They know what the students are being confronted with. So while privacy and citations are still on the radar, and they should be, those are important aspects of digital literacy, educators are really now going much further into the digital space, and they're looking for resources to help further their understanding. And that's, that's one goal of my group, is to help them with, give them some resources to do so. So, so to that end, and this will kind of wrap our digital literacy portion of the conversation, what are some unique or innovative approaches to teaching digital literacy and uh, critical media consumption that you've encountered in your work? So I mentioned the Newslet um, group. They, they are definitely in a, a unique approach. Another really exciting uh, activity I saw just maybe a year ago was in a literacy classroom and straight English, high school English, right? Um, and I saw a teacher using digital literacy with a Langston Hughes poem, uh, One Way Ticket. I think we, we are familiar, familiar with that one where the author, the narrator, picks up his life and, and he moves and the ticket is one way. That poem would not have made a ton of sense to those students unless they had been able to know that poem was written during the Great Migration. It was written by Langston Hughes, who experienced the Great Migration. Um, they, those students explored the conditions of the era, so they were able to see primary sources in the digital space of personal accounts of Black people living in the South. They saw census data, for example, about how many people were moving from the South. And then they saw photos of the conditions that existed during the time. I thought that was that lesson's going to stick with me for the rest of my life because I saw that poem come to life for those students. So that type of unique application really drove home the learning for students. And they, they could see themselves. Everybody's had an experience that made themselves feel like an outsider at some point in time. And these students became very engaged in that lesson. And, and I think it's going to stick with them. There's so much promise uh, uh, to uh, this work and and digital literacy uh, broadly. So, so Laura, thank you for that. Let's, uh, you know, break up uh, digital literacy and disciplinary literacy, as I might say. Let's dip out of that conversation for a second. I made reference to it in the beginning. Uh, just quick segue. Uh, any good tips on a queso recipe? <laughs> or is that just too cheesy? <laughs> um, yeah, Bad you know, tips. I just use Velveeta and Rotel, so I'm not, okay. I'm not okay. very authentic. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, uh, next time. Okay. Next time. Uh, all right. Well, let's turn our attention uh, to disciplinary literacy. So uh, what is disciplinary literacy and how does it differ from, for example, content area reading? Okay. That's, that's a deep question and I'll try to make the answer sort of just as black and white as I can. So the easiest way to think about disciplinary literacy is that 
it teaches students to read like an expert in a field. So you might read and write like a scientist or read and write like a historian. Content area reading is more general. So focusing on skills that could apply across all content areas, like main idea, cause and effect, that, that type of thing. Um, the Shanahans have published a lot of great research on the differences and similarities and approaches to reading content areas. And anybody interested in this di- disciplinary literacy space, I would highly recommend they go read the Shanahans. Um, but one of the things they've discovered based on their research with interviewing actual historians as they read or chemists as they read, turns out that historians, historians focus a lot on the source So they use it to home in on the author's perspective, thinking about how that perspective may be skewed because of the era in which the the historian was writing or the source was writing. While chemists, they might determine to use a source just to see if it's viable, if it's worth their time reading. They don't have to think about potential bias or perspective because what they're reading is factual. Um, So there's a key difference in how to read like a historian, how to read like a chemist. But then they also discovered that for chemists, for historians, and other fields, they all use corroboration across texts. So this shows us that disciplinary literacy pulls ideas together. And they might use them in different ways, but everyone used corroboration across texts. So there's... The main, the main point is reading like a scientist is different than just reading. So I'm going to channel, Laura, thank you for that, uh, one of my high school boys right now. Uh, so why does that matter? Um, why does it matter that students are trained in the specialized literacy practices of specific disciplines? You know, how do those skills serve them well? It matters a lot now. Um, we, we're all very aware of NAEP data, right, that says kids haven't made as much progress over time as, as they need to. But in the, wor- in the meantime, the world has changed dramatically. We're living in a global community. There's more demand now than ever for highly focused literacy skills. So let's think of specific examples like healthcare. So healthcare has expanded. People are living longer. There are pandemics. Um, There's more need now for pharmacists, doctors, medical transcription. Those types of those types of professions need to be uh, literate in the disciplines. They need to know how to read like a scientist. Knowing how to read like a scientist helps them navigate technical manuals and understand the research behind the recommendations that are being made in the medical field. And the same is true for IT jobs. And that's why we don't have enough people to fill them is that there's a lot of technology that goes into those jobs, but navigating the text, it's hard to read if you haven't been taught how to read it. And it's not just white collar. Uh, Think about mechanics or electricians, which are more in need than ever because of population growth. They also have to be able to read technical manuals and write them so others can learn from from them and others. And then if you think about teachers, if you're going to teach reading and writing, you really have to know how to read closely and analyze literature so you can pass it on to your students. So with our, our changing 
world and more demands than ever for these types of skills, it's just imperative that the the space is filled and we are um, disciplinary literacy wise. I really appreciate that, Laura. I, you know, when you Google trends for disciplinary literacy, you'll find that this really started to pick up steam and popularity about a decade ago. Are you familiar with how or why this became such a trending topic among literacy educators? Yeah, you're right, Jacob. There, the topic is is sort of a buzz in the field, and I think there are there are two main reasons. Um, one I would cite is, luckily, the world has a renewed interest in equity, and digital literacy connects us to equity. and And it's what what I was saying about the jobs. You cannot pursue those jobs unless you have digital and disciplinary literacy. Um, both of those skills are imperative with whatever post-life activity you want to pursue. So we all students should be equipped so they have a choice of jobs, of careers, of activities in their life, and disciplinary literacy, and I will add digital literacy, enable them to do that. The other reason is um, Common Core actually included disciplinary literacy standards back in, what, 2010, when those came out. That sort of put it on the radar for everyone. But then after that, states have been doing a lot of thinking in the space. So Wisconsin just put out some great materials on disciplinary literacy. Um, Colorado's issued a statement about disciplinary literacy being the fundamental element found in all disciplines of their revised standards. So they're the heart there. And Maine has also made some disciplinary literacy uh, initiatives part of their statewide literacy development plan. So when you think about it happening at the state level, you're always going to have that trickle-down effect to the classrooms. So now educators are super hungry for help in this area, as most of us didn't have that in our pre-service college experience. That's really interesting. I I was just... um Doing some math this morning. I mean, you, you talk about these kind of state and federal uh, um, policy or standards trends. I was kind of shocked as I looked back that we're approaching seven years since ESSA uh, was, uh, you know, kind of authorized um, in, in Congress. And makes me think, and this is a total birdwalk, Laura, but do you see, you mentioned, you know, kind of four leading states in this disciplinary literacy push. Do you see... Uh, uh, that as a sign that more is coming from other states, but perhaps kind of, you know, federal, federally looking forward. I know that's speculative, but just interested in your thoughts there. Yeah, no, you know, this type of thing tends to grow legs when it's important work. And I think those states have been especially brave and really putting a forward thought into this and other states are watching. Um, and, and I do think that it's going to be quite the movement because the research is behind it. This is important. It is a, a skill that would enable students to pursue their hopes and dreams for life and be fully informed. And so I, I do think it's going to become like a thing in the education space. So I'm going to kind of harken back to the digital literacy conversation and think about myself. So I was a middle and high school math teacher. I was never taught how to... Um, teach disciplinary literacy and mathematics is just one example. But so, so how are these skills taught currently? And in an ideal educational landscape, what would pedagogy look like 
uh, for for educators in covering disciplinary literacy? Yeah, that's that's a tough question. So um, the general sense is that these skills in in the digital and disciplinary literacy space together, uh, they aren't as taught as often as they need to be. Um, think disciplinary literacy again. It, it's been since the advent of the of the Common Core or College and Career Study Standards. They, it's the title disciplinary literacy got off to a bad start, um, and that's because at first content teachers took it to mean like stop teaching science or stop teaching math and start teaching reading, and some English teachers believed that they had to stop teaching like the Great Gatsby or Shakespeare and move to teaching all informational texts, and that was not at all what the intent of disciplinary literacy was about. So over time. And because of states like Wisconsin and Colorado and Maine, the messages started getting out that that thinking was wrong. And to that end, I'd say an ideal landscape is educators knowing they can still teach the concepts they need to, but instead of doing things like memorizing facts and science, um, students would extrapolate information after they've been taught to read like an expert in their field. Um, Teachers guide with questioning, so they still have a very important role. But the onus then is on the students to play an active role in engaging in the readings in a new way to get their answers. So more of the learning is transferred to the, to the student, and they're exploring and engaged in the learning. And to bring it back to where we all started in this conversation, digital literacy can be a real tool in this landscape. So when combined, digital literacy and disciplinary literacy can be really powerful for kids. Laura, thank you uh, again. As you indicate, you know, this is a, a complex and evolving, growing topic. Uh, so where can educators find out more, uh, dig into research and the like? So the Shanahan's, I mentioned them earlier. Uh, they, they are my go-to for research on, um, on disciplinary literacy, for sure. Digital literacy, um, I, I just published an article, actually. Uh, Maya Daughtry and I published an article in the journal, and I would recommend that's got a lot of uh, citations that are useful for folks as they go to dig and, and learn more in the digital space. There's also a great book by Lint. Um, it's called This is Disciplinary Literacy, and it's published by Corwin. That gives you a firm understanding of the landscape. And then I'd encourage people to poke around on state websites in states they aren't even in. So if you want to go to the Colorado website and check out what they have to say about disciplinary literacy, I would absolutely do that. Um, American Library Association has some great stuff on digital literacy. So it's out there. Um, and, and there's some good stuff that can really shore up your background knowledge on these and give you some useful resources. Laura, thank you. I, one more thing before we go. Is there work that you, you mentioned the article that and you and Maya Daughtery uh, published in um, the journal? Um, are, are there other things that you and your team are working on in digital literacy, disciplinary literacy uh, that would be good for our listeners to uh, be aware of, uh, connect to, et cetera? 
Yeah, we've, you know, this is early days. We've really, we, as always, right, we read all the research. We think about the stances that are best for students. And then once those stances are developed, then we, we build research-based tools and resources for students. And one of the things that we just um, either published yesterday or getting ready to publish on our website is the writing stances that NWA endorses and digital and disciplinary literacy play a big role in the writing space. So students aren't just consuming, they are also producing. And so I would encourage readers to check that out. Um, That's NWA writing stances. Um, uh, As far as other tools and resources, I'd say stay tuned because we're super excited about thinking about this space moving forward. Well, Laura, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I know our listeners uh, did as well. Thank you so much for having me. These are two passions, so it was actually very exciting to talk about this. Uh, Absolutely. Well, so glad you could come. And thank you also to all of our amazing guests this season. Every year, I don't think we can outdo ourselves and my NWEA colleagues, as well as our guest educators, continue to prove me wrong. We appreciate you sharing your time and your talent with us. For more insights, ideas, and resources on digital and disciplinary literacy, be sure to follow our blog, Teach, Learn, Grow. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review to help us reach more educators in their professional growth journeys. This is our final episode of season three. I learned so much from our guests this season, and I hope all of you walked away with a content-focused strategy, tip, or new perspective you can take with you wherever you practice. We'll be back in 2023 with more episodes. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you'll be the first to know. Many thanks to everyone who made season three possible. And thanks to all of you for listening. Again, we'll be back next year. Until then, I'm Jacob Bruno. Thanks for listening.